0: Still we're young. All right, we sing your song about the love of God here. I get this pick on my finger.
1: And uh...
2: Night. Family, we just love to hear the McBrides. They're wonderful. Amen. Please stand if you would. We're going to have our first song tonight, congregational, in the songbook 116. 116. Jesus saves. Now, on Saturday, we were talking about 105 heat index, and I told you we were praying about the weather cooling down. And now we're, I hear we're having a winter nor'easter coming in tonight. So, amen. So it's it's comfortable, but it's a little wet, so uh, it get a little chilly. But let's sing and worship the Lord together tonight. One hundred and sixteen, Jesus saved, brother Tom.
3: If you return at 156, we'll continue to sing about it tonight. Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance.
2: Will you come up here and pray for us here in a minute? It's good to have uh, other churches present, some people from different places. Uh, some of our good preacher friends are here tonight. Um, I'll tell you what, this, this service is so famous, world-renowned, that uh, Brian Lawson traveled all the way from Brazil to be in this meeting. He wanted, to, he wanted to have some good preaching. He's here tonight. Good to see Brian. Pastor Staub's here, Silver Lane, Mario Shadina, his assistant. And uh, I see some folks here from Galilean tonight. Pastor Hector Sharpetta from Warren, again, supporting the meeting. Brother Jim Lutz over here from Metro. It's Good to have these men. And of course, our preachers that are here this week, Brother Jason Kendrick, Brian McBride, James Brown, and Adam Wells. So we appreciate the support of this meeting. And uh, I got home last night, and my daughter, Trisha was all excited. She said, oh, it's so good to see my dad on the platform leading the tent meeting. Because you know, folks, we're on Twitter feed. <laughs> Uh, we're a big time church, amen. But I heard it come in real clear, so that means missionaries and people from all over the country can get in on the old fashioned tent meeting. So it's a blessing. But thank you for being here tonight, being faithful to come out. Pastor Staub's a good friend of mine, pastor's over here in Dearborn Heights. He's going to come and lead us in prayer tonight. Brother Cal, you get ready to sing, please, okay?
4: Boy, isn't the Lord still good tonight? Let's pray. Father, I say blessed be the Lord because you have heard the voice of my supplications. You're my strength and my shield and my heart trusted in you and I am helped, therefore I will greatly praise thee. I love you, Lord, because you are my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and I will trust You're my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. That's just a touch, Lord, of what you are. Make your presence known. Get praise and glory. Work in our hearts that which you most desire. Speak to the hearts, Lord. Minister to the preachers and those that are being preached to. Help us to listen. With the ears of the holy ghost what the spirit saith and we'll thank you god for your goodness in jesus name amen and all god's people said
2: amen. you may be seated thank you brother stomp brother cal downing sings at our church we again i mentioned the other day we're a local church so we use our own folks in meetings and they all do a great job and brother cal always picks good songs with meaning so he's going to sing and then we're going to have brother brian mcbride come when he's done brother brian of course is here every year And uh, does a great job feeding the church. And I love Brother Brian. I love his love for the word and for the Lord. And uh, I look forward to every time he comes and preaches. So, Brother Brian, if you'd make your way up when Brother Cal's done. Thank you. First preacher.
5: Your father. go stand is quickly rising and you wonder where he's been
0: song let's see here am i all right testing one two i can't hear it is okay there we go all right amen good to see you tonight i appreciate the good singing i appreciate being here in the tent meeting the good weather the lord's given us and i appreciate the goodness of the lord thank you ladies for the good food we've been enjoying and thank you for the nice hotel that i'm staying in we uh A preacher friend of mine was preaching. This lady had been saved just a little while, just two or three days. And she got into service and my my preacher friend was preaching and folks were kind of getting happy and they were shouting amen and hallelujah and glory to God. And she'd only been saved three days. She didn't know all the Christian vernacular. So she stood up and said, preach it, baby. (laughs) And uh, so just a minute ago when I stood up, my wife said to me, preach it, baby. So... We'll see if that works out or not. I'm going to try and be brief. Uh, I've been trying for 39 years. It's never worked, but I'm going to try it one more time for your sake. Give my pastor lots of time. But I want you to turn to the 144th Psalm for just a moment. Psalm 144. We'll not read the entire Psalm, but we will deal with most of this Psalm. But I want to read the verse at the end of the Psalm, verse number 15. Psalm 144 and verse number 15. And watch what this verse says. The Bible says, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And I'm going to preach a little while tonight on happiness. Now, it may not seem like it while I'm preaching, but I want to preach a little bit on happiness. And and actually, what I want to preach on tonight is this subject, Seven Things That Will Steal the Happiness of a Nation. Seven Things That Will Steal the Happiness of a Nation. Of a nation. I'm looking around tonight at these young people underneath this tent. And I'm thinking about the things that are being told to our young people today uh, through the internet, on the news channels, and what they're being taught many times, even in the public schools, and the things that are entering into their minds, and the things that I hear our young people say. And David deals with these things in the Bible here in this chapter. Now, a lot of time folks say, well, you know, the Bible's an old book and it's out. No, the Bible is more up to date than your morning newspaper because your newspaper will tell you what happened yesterday. Your Bible will tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. And so we can find some truth in the Bible that will help us to live and help us to be happy. I want to be happy, don't you? The Bible said, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. So where do you find wisdom and where do you find understanding? You find it in the Word of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of no, uh, wisdom and a knowledge of the holy is understanding. And so without the fear of God, there is no wisdom and there is no understanding. But I want to look in this passage a moment and I want to notice with me, I want you to notice with me seven things that David deals with that will steal the happiness of a nation. If we could get these seven things straight in our mind as, as in America today, in the United States of America, we could be again a happy people. Now let's look at them and I'm going to do my best not to get political tonight but I'm also going to do my very best to be absolutely scriptural and show you what the Bible says and by the way if I'm scriptural it'll affect me it'll affect my morality it'll affect my patriotism it'll affect my politics if I'm scriptural if I stay with the Bible so let's look at it for a moment notice how David begins Psalm 144 in verse 1 bless Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth, now watch this, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. The first thing I want you to notice is that David deals with the problem of pacifism. You said, preacher, what will steal the happiness of a nation? It'll steal the happiness of a nation when we no longer are willing to fight for what God has given us. We're hearing this today that war is immoral, but not all wars are immoral. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us about war. The Bible says of God, the Lord God is a man of war. I remember an old preacher. He was preaching. He had an unusual way of speaking. His his vocabulary and his diction and his inflection in his, in his voice was unusual. And so he got up to preach and he said, my text tonight... Is from the book of Exodus. He said, the text say, the Lord God is a man of war. My subject is: you can't whoop him. <laughs> amen. I say amen. David tells us that God taught his hands to war. The Bible said in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 22, for there fell down many slain because the war was of God. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14, Nehemiah said, and I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Now listen to this, and fight for your brethren your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I would like to say to you, there are some things in this world that are worth fighting for, some things in this world that are worth dying for. There are some things I don't want to fight, and some things I wouldn't want to die for, but I'm willing to fight for my home, and I'm willing to fight for my family, and I'm willing to fight for freedom, and I'm willing to fight for my children. I'm willing to fight that the gospel could be preached. I'm saying, to you, war is not always immoral. And this crowd that's running around, uh, talking about pacifism and spitting on the soldiers, and I do—I don't have no time for them. I'm not interested in them. Uh, I thank God for those that have fought for our country, and that we have the liberty that we have now because somebody gave their life so that we could have what we have. If you fought in the armed services, I want to thank you. I want to say thank God for you. And you young people, remember, it is an honorable thing to fight for your country. It's an honorable thing to fight for your family. And you ought to treat a veteran with respect. And you ought to thank him for what he's done. And you ought not spit on him. And you ought not think of him lightly. You ought to thank him for the sacrifice that he's made. Amen. So pacifism will steal the happiness of a nation. Then notice what else he goes on. He said, my God, goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, he in whom I trust. Now watch this, who subdueth my people under me here's the second thing will steal the happiness of a nation not only pacifism but anarchism those who would teach us that there should be no rule of law those who would say don't put your laws on me those who would say I don't have to be subject to anybody I can live any way I want to well I want to say to you there is no peace without law Are you listening now? There is no peace without law. Anarchism is a belief in the abolition of all government and the organization of society on a voluntary cooperative basis without recourse to force or compulsion. Here's what we're hearing today. Let's abolish the law because people are gonna break it anyway. No, friend, let's do this. Let's enforce the laws that we have. The Bible tells us when, when God is talking to us about the Lord coming in Genesis 49, and he talks about, Shiloh, the Bible said uh, of Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now I want you to think about this. He didn't just say there'd be a scepter in Judah, and he didn't just say there'd be a lawgiver. He said there'd be a scepter and a lawgiver. Why is that? Because the scepter represents the authority and the lawgiver's the one that makes the law. It's no good good to have a law if you don't have authority to enforce the law and authority without the law is tyranny. So what we have in America is we have laws and then we have authority to enforce the law but there are those today who do not want us to enforce the law. They do not want to have law but I'm telling you friend there is no peace, there is no joy, there is no happiness, there is no safety without law. Now David said, "Here's what God did. God subdued His people under Him. I want I want you to listen to me a moment. Everybody in this world is subject to someone. Are you listening now?" we subject to someone. Nobody. There was a man one day that called for Jesus to come to his home and want him to heal his servant. He was a centurion. And as Jesus started for his home, he sent a message to Jesus and said, I'm not worthy. Don't come to the house. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But then he said this. He said, speak the word. He said, for I am a man has set... Under authority, and I say to one, Go, and he goeth. Now, here's what he was saying. He was saying, I am set under authority, and because I am subject to those that are in authority over me, that gives me authority over those that are under me. Here's what's happening with parents. Here's what's happening with mamas. Mamas say, Well, I can't get my children to be subject unto me. Well, let me ask you, Mama, are you subject to your husband? Here's what's happened in our homes. A man says, I can't seem to get any authority over my children. Well, let me ask you, sir, are you subject to the Lord? You see, if you're not surrendered to the authority over you, you have no moral authority over those that are under you. We're trying to exercise authority without being submitted to authority. But if we'll submit ourselves to God-given authority, then we'll have authority over others. So we're living in an age today, this age of anarchism. Don't don't make a law. Don't put your laws on me. But there can be no society and no structure in society without law. Laws must be made and laws must be enforced. Then there's a third thing that David will mention. Look what he says in verse three. Lord, what is man that thou uh, takest knowledge of him or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Bow the heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Cast uh, the forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. Here's the third thing David brings up. Not only only pacifism and anarchism, but he brings up humanism. He says to us, and he says to the Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Lord, why do you even pay any attention to us? Why do you even take knowledge of us? What is man in verse four? Man is like to vanity. He's like to vanity His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Who am I to tell God what's right or wrong? But here's what we're doing in society today. We're lifting and exalting men above God. The Bible warns us in Romans chapter 1. Uh, when they uh, when they uh, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, neither were thankful. And the Bible goes through the wickedness they got involved in. And it says this. It said, who worship the creature more than the creator. That's where we are today. We're in humanism. Man is getting better. Man, it started out. Uh, man is getting... You know what we're in? We're in the days of self-esteem. Learn to love yourself. you know what what people do? They'll take the Bible where it says, love thy neighbor as thyself, and they'll twist it around and say, see, you can't love your neighbor till you love yourself. That's not what Jesus said. He said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know you. You're already in love with yourself. Try loving your neighbor like you love yourself. We're not suffering from low self-esteem. We're suffering from high self-esteem. Somebody said, well, I know so-and-so, they hate themselves. You got a Bible problem. Because here's what Paul said. He said, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but cherisheth it and nourisheth it. Our young people don't have low self-esteem problem. They're in love with themselves. You say, preacher, where did they learn that? From their mom and dad. Because we don't have low self-esteem problem, We're in love with ourselves. We want to put ourselves first and we raise ourselves above God. When we tell God what we're going to do, haven't we lifted ourselves above him? When we tell him, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what Brother McBride said under the tent. This is what I think. This is what I'm going to do. When I tell you what the Bible says and you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. Haven't you lifted yourself above God? Humanism. We're living in that day today. We're worshiping men. We're exalting men. We're giving them the glory that belongs to God. Humanism. Humanism is an outlook of system, uh, of thought, attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. But David said, "Here's what man he is like unto vanity." Ever since, ever since Charles Darwin came up with the theory, and that's what it is—the theory of evolution. Every time, ever since he came up with, "Here's what we've," "Here's what we're being taught." We're being taught that man's getting better and getting better. He's climbing up the ladder. Well. Well, friend, what is the top of the ladder? The top of the ladder would have to be God. We're making men into gods. And the Bible tells us that one day there'll come a man who will sit down on the throne of God. The Bible said he'll deny God, but he'll sit down as God. What can he be except some kind of superhuman? Uh, you know, I've thought about this, and I wouldn't fuss with you, argue with you about it. But how are you going to get every religion in the world, get them gathered? together under one man. Suppose, Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard it said man only uses 10% of his brain power and if he could harness the other 90%, there's no telling what he could do. You ever heard something like that? All right, suppose a man comes along. He is demonically inspired. He is demonically empowered. And suppose he begins to uh, do miracles and do things that just everybody gasps and said, how can you do that? And he said, well, uh, suppose he said this. He said, you've all had religion wrong. You've all had a, a false idea of God. Here's what I am. He said all of us have God in us. Have you heard that lately? All of us have a spark of divinity in us and we can all become God. He said I am I am fully evolved. I am come to the place where I have all of my faculties. I can do all the things I have. I have completely made myself a God and you can too and he will draw everybody in. I believe that may be what happens when the Antichrist comes. It would be the fulfillment of the lie of Eden. You shall be as God's. It would be the fulfillment of the lie of evolution. Getting to the top rung. It would be the fulfillment of the lie of self-esteem. It would be the fulfillment of all of those lies. We're being taught that there is no God as we understand Him from the Bible, but men can become gods. Here's what Kenneth Copeland said on his radio program He said, You don't, he said, You, ha- you have a God in you. Here's what a preacher of the First Baptist Church of Seattle, Washington said he said, uh, he said, Jesus was not God, He was just a man who realized the Godhood that was in Him. Are you listening now? What he's saying is all of us have God in us, a divine spark. And if you fan the flame, we become God. That is humanism and it is idolatry. There is one God, Jehovah God. There's none other like him. There's none beside him. And so there is humanism will steal our happiness. Not only pacifism and anarchism and humanism, but then, by the way, can I tell you this about Charles Darwin? Study him sometime. He was an amateur botanist. Had no degree. He's an amateur botanist. And now we're teaching the whole world what he came up with. Then here's the fourth thing. Are we having a good time so far? Okay, all right. Here's the fourth thing. Not only pacifism and anarchism and humanism, but globalism will destroy the happiness of a nation. You say, preacher, is that in the scripture? Well, let's see. Verse number seven. Send thine hand from above, rid me and deliver me out of the great waters. Now watch this, from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Now, what are strange children? If you study your Bible, the word strange does not always mean odd like we would call it. If you go back and look in the book of Proverbs, we're warned about the strange woman. And what is the strange woman? She is a woman who has different values She is a woman who has different morals. She has a woman who has a different God. Doesn't matter where she came from. She's considered a foreign woman, but I'm not interested in where she came from. I'm interested in what she believes. Are you listening now? She has a different value system, the strange woman. She has a different moral ethics. She has a different God. And we're to be warned about her. Now, David comes along and he said, now we've got strange children. What's he talking about? He's talking about children who have different values, different morality, and a different God. Now, look up here. Y'all looking at me funny. Look up here. I... I believe in the American dream. And I want everybody that wants to come to America, I want them to come. I say, come on. I want them to come and enjoy it. You know why? Because I believe America is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But listen to me now. Come to America. Don't try and change America into the place you left but enjoy what America is. You say, you have Bible for that. You know, we have a wonderful lesson about immigration in the book of Ruth. Ruth left Moab and came to Bethlehem. But when she got to Bethlehem, she didn't try to turn Bethlehem into Moab. What did she do? She came to Bethlehem. She dressed like she is an Israelite. She talked like an Israelite. She followed the customs and the law of the Israelite. And she said to Naomi, thy God shall be my God. Amen. Now, don't get mad at me. You call me a racist if you want to. You call me whatever you want to because I know it's not true. So it doesn't bother me. But listen to me now. If you come to America to make America like the place you left, that's not immigration. That's invasion. And so here comes Ruth and she comes in and she follows what Naomi teaches her about Israel and God blesses her and puts her in the, in the plan. She ends up in the plan of God. She ends up in Matthew chapter one, this globalism, this idea that this idea, this business of nations without borders. How can you have a nation without a border? How will it be a nation? Let me let me just talk to you about nations for a moment. The Bible said in Deuteronomy 17, God said, when I, when you come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, he said this, thou shalt, and he said, uh, thou shalt say I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. He said, thou shalt in any wise set king over thee whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee which is not thy brother. Now that's an interesting verse. God said to them, an Israelite ought to be a king over Israel. Not a stranger. Stay with me now. I want you to notice something. Revelation 5, 9. Here we are in Revelation. The Bible said, They sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Revelation 28. And shall go out to deceive the... Nations, Revelation twenty-one, twenty-four, And the nations of them which are saved. Revelation 21. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Revelation 22. In the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life. Which bare twelve manner of fruit. Yielded her fruit every month. for the, And the leaves were for the tree. Were for the healing of the nations. You see how many times nations are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Somebody said well preacher. Uh, we don't need nations. Yes we do need nations. Nations were ordained of of God. Right. If you study your Bible, God ordained the nations. He said in Genesis 12 too, and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I've got more verses. Don't have time to go. God not only ordained nations, but he uses nations for his purposes. The Bible said in Judges 3.1, now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. The Bible said he increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. The Bible said, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. God demands righteousness from nations. The Bible said, open ye the gates that the righteous nation, which keepeth the truth may enter in. America needs to remember that God demands righteousness from us as a people, as a nation. God will judge unrighteous nations. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? I won't you to understand. There was a time, the Bible said, when mankind gathered together. They tried to build a tower. They said, let's build a tower to reach all the way to heaven. God came down. What did he do? He divided them. He divided them into nations. He messed up their language so that they could not converse with one another. He said, the people are one, and now nothing they imagine will be withheld from them. And so he divided them. Nations are of God. And when somebody says to you, we have to have a nation without a border, they're There is no such thing as a nation without a border. If you don't have a border, you don't have a nation, and nations are of God. There's nothing wrong with loving your country. Nothing wrong with it, doesn't mean you hate anybody else. There's nothing wrong with loving the nation that God gave you. Nothing wrong with that. But there are nations, and they are in the plan of God. Here's the, where am I? Number five. Let's see what else. They, and David talked about these that will extend the right hand, but they don't mean what they're saying. Listen to what he said again. He said, Deliver me out of great waters from the hand of the strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. There are those who would give the right hand, but they don't mean it. David said, Lord, deliver me from them. All right, let's read on. He'll go on and talk about these. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Now look at verse 12. Here's the fifth thing that'll steal the happiness of a nation. Watch what David said. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished, After the similitude of a palace, David said, now, Lord, here's what we want. We want you to help our sons and our daughters. And notice he said, I want you to do one thing for our sons, and I want you to do something else for our daughters. Now, David understood this. He understood. Here's here's the fifth thing. Transgenderism will steal the happiness of a nation. Now, listen to me. So preacher, how many genders are there? What are they? Male and female. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. There's not three. There's not five. There's not seven. Are you listening now? There are two. David talked about the boys and the girls. Two. And not only that, but David said, Lord, I want you to do one thing for the boys. I want you to do something else for the girls. You know what David understood? Boys and girls are different. Boys need one thing. Girls need something else. Boys ought not dress like girls. Girls ought not dress like boys. Boys ought not do what girls do and girls ought not do what boys do. Daddy, teach your boy to be a boy. Hey, there's no such thing in the Bible as toxic masculinity. Can't find that in the Bible. Teach your boy to be a boy. Won't be anything wrong with it. Teach your girl to be a girl. Mama, teach teach that girl how to be a girl. Teach her about femininity. Amen. Teach her about submission, subjection. I know, I'm going to get in trouble over this. Teach her how to be subject to her husband. Amen. Daddy, teach your boy how to dress like a boy. Teach him how to take the lead in the family. You know, how come our boys aren't taking the lead? Because our daddies aren't. Daddy, take the lead in your family. Amen. It's what your wife needs, whether she realizes it or not. Wives, be subject unto your husbands, as the, under your own husbands as the church is subject unto Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Amen. Love them like Christ loved the church and gave himself for So husbands ought to love their wives. Wives ought to be subject to their husbands. The Bible said husbands ought to love their wives and not be bitter against them. Amen. The Bible said in the book of Proverbs that you ought to be ravished with the wife of your youth. Y'all stay in love till you die. Amen. You know why we don't stay in love? Because we get ourselves mixed up in things that mess up our love. We look at things we shouldn't look at and read things we shouldn't read and get thoughts in our mind that shouldn't be in our mind and it messes up our love relationship with our wife. Amen. You ought to turn some things off. And if you can't turn them off, you ought to throw some things out. Stay in love with your wife. Amen. Stay on the honeymoon. Honeymoon ought never get over. Amen. Well, that wasn't in the message, but I threw it in there. (laughs) I'll read this verse. I hate to read it because I'll get somebody mad at me. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. You ought to dress like a man if you're a man. You ought to dress like a woman if you're a woman. I said, well, or lady said, well, you know, nothing wrong with me wearing pants. Well, so what about your wife wearing a dress or your husband wearing a dress? I come out of the Target one day and here come a man out, out of Target, had work boots on, white socks, a work shirt, and a skirt. A skirt with a little loop in it and a hammer in it. You talk about mixed up. The Bible said, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now watch these next. Nor effeminate. I'm not going to go into what all it is, but it is an ungodly and moral relationship between, between men. And then, not only that, but abusers of themselves with mankind, which is what we read about in Romans chapter 1, the Sodomite. Right. And God said they'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You say, Preacher, you hate them. I don't hate them. I love them. I want them to be saved. Say so they can't be saved. I believe they can be saved. Give them the gospel. Amen. It's lust. You say, Preacher, where does it come from? It's lust. It's lust. If you have a problem with lust, can you be saved? Sure you can. And I believe they can be saved. I believe they can. You say, Preacher, you hate them. I don't hate them. I want them to be saved. They need to be saved like I needed to be saved. They need to repent of sin like I needed to repent of sin. Amen, preacher. Amen. Here's the next one. Number six. We're almost done. Just take a deep breath. Here's the sixth thing that will steal the happiness of a nation. David implies it at the very least here. And it is socialism socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. In other words, you don't own anything. What's yours is mine. What's mine's yours. Does David mention it? Watch what he says in verse 13 and 14. That our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep, may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in the streets. Now, I want you to think about this language. David said that our garners, now, our would be plural, right? Am I right about that? Our? He didn't say my. And then he said garners. That would also be plural. Am I correct about that? He didn't say our garner, singular. He said our garners. So David is saying there's more than one of me and there's more than one garner. Listen to me now. David's not saying there's a lot of me and there's only one garner and we all own it. David is saying there's a lot of us And there's a lot, there are plural of us and there are plural of garners. What he's saying is, I've got my garner and you've got your garner. He's not saying everybody has one garner. That's what they're trying to tell us today that what's yours is mine, what's mine is yours and nobody has the right to own anything and they want to spread the wealth. Now look what else he said. He goes on with this same kind of language. He said that our sheep... He said that our oxen, now here's what what we're being told today. We're being told today that capitalism is wrong, but capitalism is not wrong. We're told today that socialism is better than capitalism. Socialism is not better than capitalism. If you go down to Venezuela right now, you will not believe that socialism is better than capitalism. I was with a preacher a couple weeks ago. He had a whole box of Venezuelan money. He was a multimillionaire. But you couldn't buy a piece of bread with it. Because you know what's happened in Venezuela? What's happened in Venezuela is somebody took over, they destroyed the middle class, they took all their weapons away from them, and now all you have is the very rich and the very poor and nobody in the middle. And that's what they won't to do to America. The very rich and the very poor, and no one in the middle. They want to destroy the middle class. They want to take away what you've worked for. They want to take away. You say, well, preacher, you're selfish. No, I'm not selfish. I would give to help somebody that was in need. I would give to them. But what I give to them is mine to give and not somebody else's to give. Now, you got time for just a short Bible study? Just a short one. Won't won't take very long. Look in the book of Acts, because I'm tired of hearing about this. In Acts chapter 2, I want you to notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. Well, let's read it be starting in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now watch this verse. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Anybody said to you lately, see there? See in the book of Acts? Socialism? They had all things common. Well, let's read on a little bit. Acts chapter four and verse number, uh, uh, let me see if I got the right. Yeah, Acts chapter four and verse 32. Watch what happens here. And the multitude of them that believe were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them, watch it now, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed, was his own but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them all now here's what somebody's going to say they're going to say see there preacher it's biblical this socialism it's biblical read on down verse number 34 neither was any man lack, any lacking among them for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them brought the prices of the things that were sold laid them down at the apostles feet distribution was made unto every man according he had need and Joseph by who by the apostles' name, Barnabas is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Now, watch this having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Somebody said, Look, preacher, it's socialism, it's biblical. Let's not quit reading yet. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold what's it called? A possession. What is a possession? Something I possess. So he'd sold something that was his. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said unto Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Watch it now. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? Whose land was it? Who did Peter just say it was? Belonged to Ananias. He said, while it remained, was it not thine own? He didn't say that land is ours. He didn't say that land belongs to all of us. He said, that was your land. Then he said this. He said, and after it was sold, was it not in thy power? He didn't say that's all our money. He said, that's your money. It's in your power. He just told us, he he just gave us a truth about individual ownership. These verses are not teaching socialism. They're teaching Christian charity. They're teaching given to help one another. Whilst it was thine own, it belonged to him. You say, well, preacher, he died because he didn't give it. No, he died because he lied. He died because he's a hypocrite. It wasn't a matter if he gave it because he had to. He wanted to to show off in front of everybody. And none of these people gave what they gave because they had to. They gave what they gave because they wanted to. It was theirs and they gave it. That's not socialism. That's Christian giving. That's Christian charity. We believe in that. We believe in giving to help those who are less fortunate. But that's not socialism. That's not somebody coming in and saying what you have is not yours anymore. That's a different thing than what's going on here in this passage. So when somebody tells you about socialism, when they tell you about socialism and it's taught in the Bible, it is not taught in the Bible. Christian charity is taught in the Bible. Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. The last thing that David will mention. Let me go back to Psalm 144. Here's the last thing David will mention. He will mention atheism. Look what he says in verse 15. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Here's the seventh thing that'll steal the happiness of nation. It's atheism. It's believing that there's no God. The Bible said, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That's what the fool says. I don't want to be a fool. I know there is a God. I've read about him in the Bible. I got introduced to him at Calvary and he lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. And so atheism, I want you to notice, go back to verse number two of chapter 144 and watch this. Watch these pronouns. I think that's what they're called. Verse 2. Watch it. David said about the Lord. He's my goodness and my fortress and my high tower and my deliverer and my shield and he in whom I trust. It looks to me like David had a personal relationship with the God of the Bible. And I'd like to say to you tonight you also can have a personal relationship with the God of the Bible. He he doesn't have to just be some God off yonder that you've heard about and that you've read about that you've been taught about. You can come to Cal as a sinner and repent of your sin and believe the gospel and you can have a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I started my personal relationship with him on March 10th of 1980 at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night at 110 North Forest Street in Whalen, Michigan in the northernmost bedroom of the house. I bowed my head on the bed, my wife with me. I repented of my sin and believed the gospel and the Holy Ghost of God came in and moved in and took up residence in me. I was blood Born and blood washed I became a child of God and I've got a personal relationship with him do you have one you can't have one Jesus died so that you could have one I want to be happy I want to be I want to be right and the only way to be happy is to be right right with God right with God so I want to know the truth I wanted to show you these things for a little while, especially these young people, because we're being lied to. Amen. And I want us to see the truth. But young people, listen to me. Of everything I've said today, the most important thing is, do you know God? Amen. Do you know God? That's the starting place. Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Do you know God? Could you say, he's my God, my Lord? I like that high tower. You know what it means? It means a tower that's so high you can't shoot an arrow over it. I read that today. That's what it means. It's a tower so high, not just a tower, a high tower. So you can be in that tower and they can shoot and shoot all day long, but the arrows are always falling short. I'm glad he's my high tower. (laughs) I'm glad I'm saved. The most important thing in life is to know him and to be saved and have a relationship with him. And if you get that straightened out, He'll help you get all the rest of it straightened out. Do you know it? I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Now, Father, we thank you for an opportunity, again, to look in the Bible. And Lord, I know I have preached the truth and I did my best to preach it in the right spirit. And Lord, I pray somebody will get some help. I pray you'd help these young people. I pray you'd help us get our thinking right, that our thinking would be biblical and scriptural and not secular. And I pray, Lord, we we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves Bible believers. I pray we'll believe the Bible and live according to the Bible. But most of all, Lord, I pray the folks under this tent are saved, born again. They have a personal relationship with Christ. And if they don't, I pray tonight be the night they'd realize Jesus died on the cross for their sin, bled and died for them so that they could be born again. And Lord, I pray that they'd repent and believe the gospel and be saved. Lord, it's amazing how the Bible will straighten out our thinking. It'll clear up our confusion. It'll take away our doubts. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for the Word of God and for the Lord Jesus. Help us now in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Preacher, you come, will you?
2: you. Amen. Let's bow our heads if we would before we move on. On here tonight, you're dealing with uh, wonder, doubt. Am I saved? I just want to say again, the altar's always open. No matter who's preaching or who's singing, if God's dealing with you, don't hold off. You come. I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to move on. Father, I pray for Holy Ghost conviction. I've seen it, Lord, through the years many times. We pray for it here tonight. We know that we need it. We need it in our churches. We need it in our lives. We need it in our families. And I pray for it. We thank you for the message we just heard. Lord, it was so needed, so practical. Thank you, Lord, for instructing us tonight. And Lord, just pray that if you're working in hearts, I pray that somebody's not waiting for the final invitation to come. But Lord, we're always ready for you to move in our hearts. Help us to be willing to bend the knee. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, let's stand up again. We're going to sing. We're not done by any means page 37 and you got to stand this song amen standing on the promises page 37 we'll sing the usher's get ready for the offering tonight please page 37